one of the tragedies of the fall into sin is that humanity uses things that are meant to be for the glory of God. Ice cream, for example. And we make them into idols. We, we worship the created rather than the creator, which is the ultimate blasphemy. But I think in the new creation, those things that would have in, the, in our fall into sin lure our hearts into idolatry and away from God will actually lure us into God more. And, and so I used to, tell, used to tell my confirmation students that it is the duty of every Christian to enjoy ice cream <laughs> far more than their unbelieving friends because we know the giver of every good and perfect gift. Right. Ice cream included. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to our second episode of Every Moment His, Applying the Gospel to All of Life. Uh, I'm Pastor John. Hey, I'm Pastor Tim. We are uh, two pastors here in the thriving beautiful metropolis of Kearney, Nebraska. And uh, basically with our podcast, our goal is to take the Sunday message and continue the conversation and flesh out what this means uh, for our daily life. Also maybe address some questions that we might have uh, as we've heard the sermon, mm -hmm. continue to think about it during the week. So as we get started here, uh, Pastor Tim, you and I are new to Kearney. Yeah. I've got deep Nebraska roots. I grew up in Omaha. Uh, you grew up in Colorado Springs. Colorado, yeah. yep. But we have been uh, far away from here for a long time, for about seven years for me and six for you. Mm -hmm. I was up in Connecticut, up in the Nutmeg State, and you were up in the Great White North. Yeah, Thunder Bay, Ontario. Yep. And now we've landed here in uh, Kearney, Nebraska. And so the question we want to start with today is, what's your favorite thing about Kearney? Yeah, I think, um, I think my favorite thing is uh, just the parks. I uh, just love, I'm, uh, I'm kind of near Harmon Park and uh, where I live, and it's just awesome. You know, every time I go there, I'm just amazed at how big it is, how many things it has, off to, has to offer, skate park, basketball courts, um, pickleball courts, you name it, tennis, there's a swimming pool, there's great walking paths. So I've just really enjoyed the parks that we get to enjoy and uh, just really think it's pretty sweet <laughs> not every I, place has that i didn't even know that pickleball was a thing until i moved here did yeah you? yeah <laughs> i had heard rumors of it but okay. I, I really only experienced it here yeah it's a it's a big deal in car yeah. people <laughs> get pretty competitive i haven't tried it have you uh no uh tammy here in our office has been trying to get us to play pickleball but yeah we'll have to wait until social distancing is over i think you can still do it because you smack the ball at least six feet apart from each that's other that's true yeah that's true okay well, for me, I would say actually the parks too, because I live by Yanny Park, and I really like the bike path. In fact, when I moved here, I bought a bike. I have a, a road bike hybrid, and I love riding the trails, uh, although I do have to admit that the Nebraska wind is a little bit of a challenge. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes yeah, yeah. I decide to ride my bike to, to church here from my house, and I think, why did I do this? This is not yeah. a good idea. I just feel like I'm against the wind. Yeah. Uh, it reminds me of a good song. Yeah, is that, is that Fleetwood Mac? Uh, no, Bob Seger. That? It's Bob Seger. Yeah. Got to brush up on my classic rock. Yeah, here. yeah. <laughs> That's you know, a good one, We should one, talk though. to Byron Hansen in our office, our parish administrator. Yeah. I think he knows the classic rock hits. He, he and I were talking about that song just the other day. That's how I know it, actually. Really? <laughs> yeah. Man, like every wedding I went to as a kid, 
I remember just going crazy and dancing to old time rock and roll. <laughs> I thought that was the coolest song ever. Yeah, yeah. You probably yeah. made made the party, you know? I did. I remember like running all at, at the VFW or American Legion, like running along the dance floor and like sliding in my new dress pants. Yeah. And just rock star, man. Rocking it up. <laughs> yeah. Good times. Sometimes we need those kids to get on the dance floor to remind us older folks how to dance like we yeah. just forget how to bring the party yeah yeah great uh so we we heard a great sermon uh really thinking in john 14 these words from jesus about not letting our hearts be troubled um i thought i'd read just a few verses from that and then i'm going to ask you just to recap the sermon a little bit and um we can just jump into it so let's go so uh john 14 verse 1 Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to and prepare a place for, for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And then I'm also going to read, Uh, A verse from later in John chapter 17, where Jesus says this, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That's eternal life. Okay, so these were kind of the the verses you were really helping us meditate on. Can you give us just a a quick synopsis of your sermon? Then we can kind of talk through it a little bit more. Yeah, so, uh, you know, the words of Jesus, do not let your hearts be troubled. Uh, that's kind of where I started. And I was really interested in, 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 that, in that word, uh, troubled, because I- as you look at that word in the Greek, if you go back to John chapter 5, there's this episode where there's this man who's paralyzed, and he's waiting by the pool in Bethesda to be healed. Mm-hmm. And there's this, apparently this belief at the time that when the waters were stirred up, that you could be healed if you got there first. And so the word for the waters being stirred up is that same word for troubled. And so I had this idea in my mind of this, this, this uh, you, you can see it almost, of just stirred up waters. And I feel like that's where we're at as a culture, in our families, in our individual lives. We are all stirred up and we're troubled. And so I wanted to take a look at that and, and really get to the root of why we're stirred up. Why are we troubled with this whole COVID-19 thing? And I believe that we get stirred up and worried and troubled and whatnot because uh, something that we're aiming our lives toward is interrupted. Mm -hmm. And I think that's true and that's natural. But I wanted to go into this deeper question of, well, where is Jesus taking us? And and if we can figure out where Jesus is taking us, uh, then can we get some comfort? Can we trust him with where he's taking us? And we talked about how Uh, To know the Father and to know the Son is everlasting life. And that's what Jesus has gone before us to prepare us for. So, I mean, the comfort that Jesus offers here is maybe not what we would expect. You know, when we think about uh, what we want, the agenda we have, or uh, what we are aiming our lives at, um, we don't necessarily think to know Jesus, to know Mm -hmm. the Father, or... To be with Jesus is the end game, right? That's right. if I was going to sell everything for one thing in my life, 
I would want that to be to be able to know God and to spend time with him. But how does that image of what Jesus says, the hope of eternal life and knowing him, dwelling with him, how does that, how do we maybe fall short of what he's saying by having a different picture of maybe heaven, a different picture mm-hmm. of uh, where we want to go? Yeah, you know, it reminds me of, of when I was a kid. I had these neighbor kids uh, who were a little bit older than me, and they would always come over to my house and play with my toys. Yeah. And then they'd steal my batteries. <laughs> come on. Oh, man. Where are they today? Every neighborhood has a kid <laughs> like <knows>? that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, but they would steal the batteries. And, but anyways, the, the relationship was, was obviously one of utility for them. They wanted to just play with my toys. Right. And, and I think that sometimes, you know, even Christians do this. Sometimes yeah. we want God's toys, right? We want his stuff. We want his creation. We want the blessings. We want maybe the American dream, having whatever our best life might be, um, our hashtag goals, whatever it is. Right. And because and we all grew up being told that if you, if you dream it, it's possible. Mm-hmm. Every mm-hmm. school assembly I've been to was, you can <laughs> do whatever you want. Just, yeah, that's just right. Just do it. And, uh, and, and so life has rough edges, right? And then life doesn't deliver that to us. And so then we might become frustrated with God. We might not be able to trust him because we've experienced great pain in our lives or disappointment or just kind of consistent low-level experience of failure and Mm -hmm. disappointment. That's kind of the tension, I think, that our hearts are always prone to want to use God for his stuff rather than to enjoy him for himself. Yeah, like the kids in your neighborhood. They just wanted to play with your toys and take the batteries. Yeah. Yeah, I think that is really true. You know, I, I as you were talking about this, I was kind of searching my own heart to think, man, do I do I do that? And I think I do. In that, uh, I'm I'm wanting, yeah, the gift, and not the giver quite often. Mm-hmm. Um, and within, when the gift is taken away, uh, even if the giver is still present, uh, sometimes I'm I'm mad, I'm frustrated. Yeah, and the question mm-hmm. is, is he enough? Yeah. Yeah. Good. Well, and I, I also think, too, about how, you know, w- we all do, and I talked about this in the sermon, but and I w- what I always want people to know when I'm preaching is that when I preach, I've, I first preach this to myself, that there is an inclination in me, the preacher, and all of us as a Christian, for us to have this kind of secret deal with God where where we think that if we're obedient, if we're compliant, if we keep mm-hmm. the rules, that God will keep his end of the deal and maybe he'll protect us from sickness or he'll protect us from disaster, or, uh, any of those worst case scenarios that you never want to befall you. And, and then the question becomes, you know, if God did allow those things, um, would he be enough? Yeah, if he, yeah, I mean, it's one of those things that's haunting a little yeah, bit. Yeah, it is. It really is. Gosh. Especially as a, as a pastor, you know, you yeah. get to see slices of people's lives and you get to see some pretty intense suffering and sorrows. And when you think, uh, man, these are faithful Christian people. A lot yeah. of times we're, we're serving them mm-hmm. in the name of Jesus. And man, God is, he is allowing a tremendous burden to be on them. And I think, right. you know, selfishly, I'm like, God spare me from this kind of thing. 
Right, and it's the Pharisee kind of in us that I think will automatically ask that question. And everybody asks this question. You may secretly think, well, well what did this person do? And, and we've all, that's all crossed our mind. And, and it's not a sanctified thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no Because kidding. I would never want somebody to think that about me. Mm. But, but it's this kind of really law-based yeah. kind of legalism in our mind and and it's very much a merit type thing where like good people mm. get good things and bad people get bad things. But as we read the scriptures so often, we see that good people get bad things and bad people get good things. Right. Even some of the Psalms really wrestle with that. So, uh, yeah, it, it's, yeah. yeah. Uh, I think about Jesus talking about this in the Gospel of Luke where the tower has fallen on some people. Oh, right, in Luke 13. Yeah, in Luke mm-hmm. 13. And uh, the people, the question in the air is, who sinned? Yeah. You know, like, uh, why did this, why did God let this happen? It must have been divine retribution for something they yeah, had like done. Yeah, like these people got what they deserved. Yeah, yeah it's kind of like that, it's karma, essentially. Right. It's like the universe caught up to them, and they must have done something terrible right. a couple of years ago or something, and Jesus just shoots that to pieces. No, I mean, karma is yeah. a very unbiblical concept we don't believe yeah it's terrible Um, that grace is the enemy of of karma mm -hmm. yeah but jesus just says no you think you're better than any of those people who got crushed by this tower it's like unless you repent you too will perish yeah and he just cuts all of that thinking down so yeah well good so when we're talking about this um this trajectory of okay what do we want from god do we want his stuff or do we want him? Uh, how does actually focusing on the treasure of being with him reshape our understanding of everlasting life? So in other words, you know, what, what's the difference between our version of heaven and maybe what God has in store for us? Yeah, I would say that everything in our culture, sort of consumerism, the way that our economy is just tailored to your personal preference, that we even begin to project that onto heaven. Mm. And I think this comes out at funerals too sometimes, like, you know, having been to a lot of funerals, you'll listen to people talk about their departed loved one. And and sometimes it will be, well, grandpa's up in, in heaven playing golf, you know, all right. sitting in his lawn chair, having a bush light, you know, looking down on all of us. That's like the Nebraska version of <laughs> eternal life, I think. <laughs> uh, but, and, and not, I'm not trying to make light of that or make fun of any of that, yeah, but, yeah. but there is this kind of idea that, well, basically everybody goes to heaven, first of all. Yeah. It's like the, the right and privilege of everybody, except for maybe like Hitler or Stalin. Yeah, or, or the worst terrorists out the, there. Yeah, yeah like yeah. Osama bin Laden or something. Yeah. But, but most, you know, average good people go to heaven and and then heaven is really just a continuation of whatever you liked on earth. And mm-hmm. so it's almost like this eternal Disneyland kind of thing. Yeah. Which I, for some people that's a hell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you mean standing in hot lines Too for, many strollers, for an hour? Grumpy yeah. parents. Oh man. Yeah. <laughs> Screaming kids. Yeah. Um <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think I've heard it. You know, I remember when I was young, actually, I remember having this kind of a conversation, I think in church or in Sunday school, yeah. where we were asking what heaven was going to be like. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the explanations was, 
Well, whatever is your favorite thing, that's what it's going to be like in heaven. You know, so if you love uh, soccer, if you love, you know, candy or you cake you, for breakfast. Yeah. If you love the lake or whatever, yeah. like that's going to be you, God's going to cater to mm-hmm. your vision of heaven. And it's just going to be bliss and all your every want and desire is going to be perfectly laid out on a platter for you. Yeah. Um, and I think it does just reflect the narcissism of our age yeah. and our, the way we think God operates, you know? Well, and the, the key question is, well, what if Jesus isn't there? Yeah, right. Good. And, and that's the, yeah. the key question is, well, and I would say that, that most people, when they think of heaven, most average American people, when they think of heaven, they, they think of uh, Jesus as an afterthought. Mm-hmm. Whether Jesus is there or not really isn't all that important. What's important is that I see my, my loved one, my deceased loved one, that I'm no longer in pain mm-hmm. or suffering yep. uh, or that I just have this extension on a very comfortable life, but now without any end. And, you know, I almost, I would say that people in our generation don't even care much about heaven mm. because they've realized that they can have all of that now. You can have your best life now. Right. Of course, COVID-19 messes with that in really complicated ways. Uh, but by and large, in a Western developed ep- economically successful world, you, you can have what you want. You can have it mm-hmm. your way. I guess that's the old Burger King. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's whatever you want. Um, yeah, and if you can get whatever you want in this this side of the grave, then do you really need God? Yeah. Reminds me of an article that our friend Jeff Clater down in St. Louis wrote. Um, and I can't remember the title. By the way, great blog to check out is it's Sixth Gen, right? Yep, sixthgen.com. Yeah. yeah. Um, he had talked about how heaven with anything less than Jesus is hell. Yeah, like that's good. For us to imagine eternal life without Jesus being the very center, the lamb on his throne, everybody bowing down and worship eternally. That that's not actually heaven. That's Yeah. That's hell. And so the the biblical version, you know, is much better, you know, whereas if we imagine heaven in our minds, we might not even have Jesus in the picture, mm-hmm. which should really frighten us, wake us up a little bit yeah, if that's our right. imagination. Mm-hmm. But the the imagination of heaven that the scripture tries to give to us uh, is much better than that. It is right. Yeah. It's it's much more glorious, and it's kind of like okay, if you have the giver of every good gift, then literally anything that that he has is yours already. Right. So it, you shouldn't be desiring the gift. Every single thing you've enjoyed in this life, every pleasure. Um, every good thing has been his invention. That's his idea. Right. And so if we get closer to the giver of those gifts, of course it's going to just blow whatever we've experienced here out of the water. So Mm -hmm. the real treasure is not the gift, but the giver of the gift. Right. And and so even the most mind-blowing pleasures of this creation, well, first of all, they're God's invention. And uh, they only point to a greater pleasure, and that is union with Christ, being in the fellowship of the triune God. That is really what we're made for. 
and everything that we experience that's pleasurable uh, points us toward that. Whether it be a New England style IPA or a bowl of ice cream or whatever it is, it, it all is to point to an even greater pleasure, mm -hmm. which is God himself. Yeah, so the, the picture of heaven, of course, in the New Testament is, and I try to emphasize this every chance I get, yep. is the resurrection of the body, right? Yep. Reinstated it's, it's physical not, creation. We're not escaping this creation. This yep. creation's restored. Yeah. So there's going to mm -hmm. be a body. There's going to be a creation. There's going to be work and yep. status. Right. Uh, there's going to be authority structures. Uh, and there's going to be ice cream. I, I bet. <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, uh, the picture is, is just one of re being reunited with the giver of these things. Um, yeah, and I think that even in the new creation, or which we talk about heaven, which, you know, I would even say heaven's not a good word mm -hmm. always because, because heaven is misunderstood as like a disembodied experience forever, kind of like all dogs go to heaven. Mm-hmm. But when we talk about heaven, what we mean from a New Testament perspective is the restoration of this creation, uh, the resurrection of the body. The New Testament's a very physical <laughs> uh, book, right? We're talking about resurrected bodies and the restoration of this creation. And, and with that, I think that created things actually fall into their rightful place because one of the tragedies of the fall into sin is that humanity uses things that are meant to be for the glory of God, ice cream, for example, and we make them into idols. We, we mm. worship the created rather than the creator, which is the ultimate blasphemy. But I think in the new creation, those things that would have in, the, in our fall into sin lure our hearts into idolatry and away from God will actually lure us into God more. And, and so I used to, tell, used to tell my confirmation students that it is the duty of every Christian to enjoy ice cream <laughs> far more than their unbelieving friends because we know the giver of every good and perfect gift. Right. Ice cream included. Yeah, good. So <laughs> we have a duty to experience all of the gifts that he has given to us as kind of an anticipation of every other good thing he wants to give to yep. us. You know, I think of the Psalms that says, you know, in God's hands there are pleasures forevermore. Right? Yeah, apart from you, I have no good. That's right. Mm -hmm. Well, good, yeah. So, th so this recalibrated vision of heaven, and especially one that is sharing with Jesus, um, how does that help us, Pastor John, as we're going through this coronavirus stuff and in, including just in general, the sufferings in this life. Mm -hmm. When we, when we find that uh, a gift has been yanked away from us unexpectedly, right. how does what Jesus offers here in this text, how does that help us through that? I'm glad you asked that question because this is one of those points where I was nervous that maybe my sermon would be misinterpreted. And I think that's the burden of every preacher is that in preaching a 20 to 25 minute sermon, you can't say everything. It's kind of like the whack-a-mole game. You can go <laughs> after one, but you're going to miss some other things. And so there is this danger that you might be misinterpreted. And so I was trying my best to locate people's hope in the great purpose that God has for humanity, and that is to know the Father and to know the Son. Jesus went to go prepare a place for us so that we might be where he is eternally. 
And that is a, a hope that can't be taken away from us. It's, it's a, a kingdom that can't be shaken, as Hebrews chapter 12, mm -hmm. I believe, says. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to reorient people's hopes in that. But in doing that, and I talked about how we probably don't worry about the right things. Mm -hmm. we're, we're more concerned with, with financial success than spiritual poverty. We're more concerned with physical health than the health of our souls, with uh, the fear of death rather than eternal death. Mm. But in, in saying that, I don't want people to misinterpret my words as making light of or trivializing their sufferings now. Right. Because God really does care about even our smallest problems. It's just that he wants us to see those problems within the even greater problem that he solved for us, namely things like sin, death, etc. Right. And so the goal of the sermon was to give people struggling through this whole COVID-19 crisis a comfort that is not going to rise or fall when the stock markets rise or fall. That's, that's not going to be uh, an empty promise if the bank account's empty. That's not going to be as easily fractured as our health. Mm -hmm. um, because th the truth is, while Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled, that doesn't mean that he's going to take away the problems that we want him to take away necessarily. And I think that's a, a mature way of looking at it as a Christian, and that's kind of what I was aiming for yeah. in this sermon. So I think as you know, as we say, okay, I, I have Jesus, right? I yeah. have his promise. He has pledged himself to me in the cross. You know, he's pledged himself to me in the table, in the, in the bread and in the wine, his body and his blood. And I have Jesus, uh, a foretaste and by faith now, and then in eternity, I'll have him forever, right? And if I have that treasure, yeah. then anything can be really taken away from me that is temporal, and I'll right. still be I'll be a conqueror, right? Like like St. Paul says. Right, and not that you won't have crushing pain and defeat, mm -hmm. and, and not that you won't be depressed, or not that you won't be anxious, but that when it's all said and done, you've got what really matters. And because a, as a pastor, I've seen this, and I know you've seen it too, it's one of the most painful things of, of ministry, is that when people, when, when Christians experience deep tragedy, and loss, when they experience a, a difference between what they expected from God and what God gives, some people will throw up their hands and they will reject God, and, and they still believe in God, but they'll say, I just, I don't have any use for God right now. I can't trust him. But there will be others who will go even more deeper yeah. into their faith, and they'll cling to Jesus in ways that I'm just humbled by. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's a bit of a polarizing effect that suffering has on us. It's a testing of our faith sometimes. Yeah, it either yeah. pushes you deeper into the Father's heart or farther away. Yeah, I think yeah. First Peter, you know, where it says, you know, we've been tested by fire, refining yeah. of our faith, and uh, comes out precious, right? More precious than gold. Um, yeah, I think uh, it reminds me of something that Martin Luther talks about a lot, and that is that suffering without God suffering spiritually is the worst kind of suffering. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think if we if we, say we have all the pleasures in the world, right? Everything mm -hmm. at our beck and call, uh but we don't have love in our hearts, right? Or we don't have 
we we have this grim realization that it's all going to be taken away, right? Then it's just a fleeting pleasure and it's just going to be uh, a loss, right? And that's a great suffering, even if you're completely healthy. Yeah. Uh, whereas if you have the hope of eternal life in Jesus, you have the assurance of the forgiveness of your sins, you're at peace with God, then you can go through all kinds of suffering and the, you have the meaning that kind of bears you up. Like your physical suffering is, is to the max, but your spiritual faith, your spiritual health bears you through that. I think I was just reading a Luther quote the other day where Luther said something to the effect of if we, if we fall into sin or tragedy, which is inevitable to some extent, uh, may it be that God does not allow us to fall into hardness of heart or unbelief. Because if we fall into sin or tragedy um, that, that is not accompanied by <laughs> hardness of heart, we can always run back to Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and Luther talks elsewhere about, about the worst thing that God could ever do, the worst judgment that he could ever pour out on a nation would be a famine of the word. Mm. That it, it would be preferable, as hard as it is to say, it'd be preferable to experience famine or plague or war or bloodshed rather than a famine of the word because the word of God is that one thing that will make you faithfully persevere through all those other worst case scenarios. Uh, wow. And you know, I, I think know. <laughs> about the where we are as a culture, I often wonder if we are already in a famine of the word. Mm. So wherever it's preached, let's hear it, right? Let's yeah, that's continue right. to, to be strong in the words of Christ. Yeah, yeah. and not, not be deceived, you know, that uh, we'll be able to, with our own power, hold on to any blessing right. apart from him. It, one more quote. It's the ever-quotable C.S. Lewis. I saw, <laughs> <laughs> I saw a Babylon Bee article the other day. By the way, check out the Babylon Bee. It's a funny Good Christian, Christian satire. satire site. Yeah. <laughs> it was something about, like, Man quotes C.S. Lewis for like eighth time in sermon or, <laughs> or pastor's wife predicts C.S. Lewis quote. <laughs> it's kind of a joke that sermon, sermons always have C.S. Lewis quotes, but the guy was just so quotable. Yeah. Um, but he basically says that, you know, whatever you, you hold on to in your hands, you're going to lose. But whatever you let go of and place in the hands of Christ, you'll keep. Mm-hmm. He also says that if you go after happiness in life, if that's your aim, that you'll actually make yourself miserable and others. But if you go after Christ, then you'll get happiness along with it. Get both. Yeah. Good. So let's think about how we can challenge people into, here's the challenge for us um, today. What are you expecting from God? Mm -hmm. Can you kind of be honest with yourself and say, what is the deal in your head that you find that you're expecting God to deliver on? Yeah, and I would even make that into a question. Do, do I have a limit with God? Mm-hmm. If God took this away, would I be shaken in my faith? Would, would I give up on God? I, is there something God could even ask of me that I would say, nope? Yeah. Um, and also maybe even the challenge is to think about heaven, and this is a real heart-searching question, are you okay with a, with a Christless heaven? Yeah, right. And maybe not even that blunt. Are you okay if Jesus is only 
peripheral <laughs> to <laughs> everlasting life. And that's a heart yeah, check thing. He's right? a sideshow. Yeah. Mm. Well, good. And then the comfort, I think, that we want to really get into your hearts is to just show you that Jesus has given you a kingdom that cannot be shaken, right? The resurrection, mm-hmm. we yak about this all the time. It is a, is a historical fact. Right. It's, a, it's a reality. It's something that we can bank on. And because that is true, because that hope is in front of us, uh, we need not be shaken. Anyone who trusts in this hope is not going to be put to shame in the end. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's, let's put ourselves into his hands and, and trust that uh, through all tragedy, uh, Jesus has risen from the dead, and so will we be. So hallelujah. Okay, so next week we're looking into John 14. Yeah, um, John 14. You know, I was thinking the other day, I shared this with you earlier, Pastor Tim, that the synop- synoptic gospels, that'd be Matthew, Mark, and Luke, called synoptic because they're kind of synonymous with each other. They're similar. Uh, it's kind of like riding down a bike trail, maybe in Yanny Park, and you and you see the tower, and then you see the, the lake, and then you cross the bridge. It's kind of one scene at a time, but... John's gospel, especially 14, 15, and 16, those chapters are very much like that prayer labyrinth (laughs) at Yanny Park where like you're weaving in different directions. You think you're almost done and then you keep going and you go left and then now you're going right. And it's actually kind of hard to follow Jesus. Yeah. Kind of hard to understand him a little bit. Yeah. Uh, He he just kind of, he speaks circularly. And I think part of this is the John, as he's writing this, is an old man. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's what it is. We don't know. <laughs> he kind of talks like an old man spinning a yarn sometimes, but also he talks he, in just a non-linear way. Right, you right. know, and and that's how he has this gospel is flavored in that way. It's very yeah. Jewish as opposed to Greek linear. It's Jewish right. and circular. And it, about the the time that you think you understand what Jesus is saying, he all of a sudden gives you something else to think about that kind of blows your mind. And and so I've kind of struggled with John 14 a little bit. Yeah, well, I'm excited for that. So uh, you can meet us again. At, this podcast is every Tuesday morning we'll be coming out or we'll be doing the same kind of thing, breaking down the sermon, thinking through it again, and thinking how we can apply it to our everyday lives. I kind of want a bowl of ice cream now. Me too. <laughs>